Welcome to the Everesting Podcast, built by Quarry. In this episode, I'm hosting Tim Music, who lives in Taiwan and has asserted that he believes he has the perfect Everesting hill for road Everesting. Of course, when I saw that message, I needed to have him onto the podcast to defend that position. Uh, as you know, hill selection, nerding out about hills, looking at hills, looking at Strava segments is really one of the most fun parts of Everesting because of the nature of the challenge, because of its, uh, its, it's, it's a big project. It's, it's more than a bike ride. You need to consider a whole bunch of things. Hill selection is one of the most fun parts of that. And as Tim points out, you need to keep in mind that you're going to spend a day of your life in this location. And I, it makes it a lot easier if it's a place that you enjoy. So we delve into a whole bunch of things about what makes a hill ideal and what for. Uh, and I'm really, really interested to hear everybody's thoughts on this. So please reach out, hit us up. You can always send me messages on Instagram at pete.hock, so Pete Hawk. Uh, I'd love to hear from you and your thoughts on this, and then we can debate it publicly. And if you listen to this episode and you feel that you have an even better hill than the way Tim describes this, and I'm going to tell you, spoiler alert, it sounds pretty perfect. I'd love to hear from you, so please reach out. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the State Bicycle Company, who you can visit at statebicycle.com. I've told you before, State has all kinds of cool bikes. They have fixed gear bicycles, single speeds, an off-road division now. Check them out at statebicycle.com and follow them on social media, Facebook or Instagram, and you will be able to stay up to date on some of the cool seasonal stuff that they're doing. This is a really fun conversation. Thank you, Tim, for coming on. I hope you all enjoy it and we'll be back next week. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, first off, thanks so much for having me, Pete. It's uh it's an honor to be on here. You know, I listened to this podcast uh, since it's been coming out. And uh, I think, you know, a lot of us who spend a lot, I think most people, unless you're like Jack Thompson or something, spend a lot more time thinking about Everesting than you do actually Everesting. And I think this podcast uh, helps feed that kind of mental thought process a lot. It always kind of keeps the wheels turning, you know. Uh, so I appreciate what you're, uh, what you're putting out there into the space. Uh, so I'm happy to be here. I appreciate it. Yeah, there's, it's, it's hard enough that it becomes a project, right? Which I think is the appeal to people is that you can't just, you can't wing it. You have to think about things. You have to think about gears. Um, you have to think about hills. So that's, so for everybody, for context, for, for the listener, uh, Tim sent me a message saying that he believed he had what was essentially the perfect Everesting hill. So I invited him onto the podcast to defend that position. So now first off, Let's isolate this conversation. This is this is only a road conversation, right? So we're like to take surface out of the conversation. We're going to isolate the concept of perfection to road climbs only, right? Now there's there's technical things that make a climb suitable for Everesting or good for Everesting, particularly gradient, of course, and like smoothness of, of the surface, those types of things. But then there's some intangibles too like what's around it, natural beauty. And then there's more more tangible things that are sort of in between, like safety, what are cars like there, traffic, driveways, all of those types of things. So, but before we get into that, just tell me what, what brought, what made you, uh, what captivated you about Everesting in the first place? I always like to start there. Oh yeah, I mean, so many things. I, I, I don't know when I first became aware of Everesting, but it's basically, what I do anyways, when I go out on my training rides. Um, so 
I live kind of in a bigger city in Taiwan and like, I'll get into it more in the, later on, but Taiwan's extremely mountainous, but like in a downtown city, I basically have one local hill and I kind of got into cycling and fell in love with it just by going and doing hill repeats of my local climb. And uh, so when I heard about Everstang, I was like, oh, I, I knew like it was maybe two or three years ago when I heard about it, I knew that was exactly something that I wanted to do. And I kind of just always had it in the back of my mind. Uh, and yeah, I, I did a base camp uh, about a year ago or so. And uh, I've actually failed in a couple of other base camps, uh, maybe after my Everstang. But yeah, I just knew it's exactly right in my wheelhouse of how I like to ride my bike. Uh, and so even without doing specific training for it, it's, uh, you know, and I, I, you know what it is. I love spending time outdoors. I love having like the support of uh, people around me, you know, my girlfriend's super supportive. Uh, so it's just a super fun day on the bike. So it was always in my mind, uh, nervously, you know, I was just kind of waiting till I actually got to do it. Um, but yeah, I reached out to you because I know in your podcast, you often talk about, you know, the fun of hill selection and, I spend so much time just scouring Strava heat maps around Taiwan for, you know, like what would be perfect. And like, I was so picky and I, I love doing it. Like I was, you know, it's like kind of an addiction, right? When you start really uh, clicking around heat maps and I, I spent so much time routing, right? I'm sure a lot of us do who are interested in everything. So I eventually landed on this particular climb and I really do think, you know, like what, here, here's what I'm claiming, Pete. I'm claiming that this, I, I'm sure there's climbs as good, but I don't think there's one better if you're looking to enjoy your Everesting or to just get it done for the first time. Like somebody like, I'm not a super athlete at all, you know, like I'm just a normal guy who rides this bike a lot, but it's not like I'm uh, like really out there training aggressively or a pro. And I think uh, you brought, you said a lot of things at the start of this podcast. It's a lot of the intangibles and I'll get into some of those too. Uh, I think it mostly, it's mostly the intangibles that, which make this the perfect climb, but it has, it ticks every box for the tangibles too, including like safety and everything. And I've, I got like, I have my notes here and, you know, I work in education, so I, I kind of present things for a living. Uh, so I, I've, I've got a pretty uh, thorough breakdown of what qualifies this. Uh, so yeah, if anybody's going to try to up, up my, uh, my hill here, they better come prepared because I, I have. <laughs> okay. Perfect. That is awesome. We're, so let's let's put that challenge out there because I think that this is a fun conversation. And I think a lot of people are going to enjoy it. And I think we're going to get some rebuttals, which will be awesome, right? So Yeah, okay, I'm sure we will. It. Yeah. <laughs> and and this, is, this is the hill that you Everested? Correct. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. okay. And, and, what, and when did you do your Everesting? So I did it on, I, it was like early December of uh last year so maybe like you know six seven months ago now okay. um so I'll, I'll start off with kind of the reason why like this might be of interest to people you know it's like kind of laser focused to my everesting but like i think this is a useful thing to talk about on this podcast because you know like a somebody could come and do this i'm the only person to ever ever this uh, particular hill because taiwan only has like six or seven people that have ever stood here um and so you can come and visit Taiwan and do this hill if you want to bang out like a sick Everesting. And also, I think it would be useful for somebody who's just planning their first Everesting to listen to like these points and be like, oh, does that hill have it? Because yeah. I enjoyed it. It was like the best day on a bike I've ever had. And I think it's because this hill ticked all those boxes, tangible or not. 
you know. <laughs> point, right? There might be people might have a more local hill, but that ticks these boxes, right? That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So I, uh, I I think I know this is the perfect climb. So I'll give you some background to my Everesting. Um, like first off, I said like I'm not like uh, a crazy like like professional cyclist over here. I just log a lot of miles and a lot of climbing. Um, but I, the reason why I know it's such a perfect hill is because I was able to do it uh, like reasonably easily. You know, as easy as an Everesting can be. Like it was certainly really hard, and it was 20 hours on a bike but it went perfectly. Um, and also like two weeks before this Everesting, I was actually in a fairly serious motorcycle crash and like I dislocated my shoulder and like I had stitches on my face. I, I could barely walk with my left foot and I had put no weight on my left hand and like not once, like, yeah, like two weeks, two weeks. So like before a week after my motorcycle accident was like a week until my Everesting because I had this all planned for so long, right? I knew the day it was happening uh, and then I got in this crash and I'm like, oh no, like this is going to seriously, like, I won't be able to do it. But like, I knew like a dislocated shoulder, my face, like I don't need my face to Everest really. Um, and, uh, yeah, we went, me and my girlfriend drove out to this hill, even though I had, I had ridden it before on loops and stuff, but I wanted to check the surface one last time and just kind of clock in the exact meterage of it. Uh, and I couldn't even ride my bike. Like we had to go there and I just like, we drove up the hill and like, I, I hadn't touched my bike cause I, I physically couldn't. Um, so yeah, that's one reason. And I was still able to do it a week later comfortably. And, uh, like I was like so excited, uh, to do my Everesting that like I did it on the Saturday and on the Thursday night, I didn't sleep even a second. Like, I don't know why I wasn't like nervous, but like, I think that, you know what it is when you have a big event and you're like, like, you just keep running it through your head or like you have a big meeting at work or something that you're nervous for. And like, it goes through your head all day. So that happened and I didn't get a wink of sleep. And then the Friday night before my Everesting, like went to bed at like 11 PM and got up at like 1:45. So that I had in like three days, I was dealing with like an hour and a half of sleep. And it still went perfectly. So those are the reasons why I know it's the perfect hill. You know, it's because I did it with all that, you know, fighting against me. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'll get into it here. So first off, it's in Taiwan. Uh, so I'll give overview of Taiwan. It's like a small island. So like if you're here and looking for an Everesting Hill, you can't go wrong. There's tons. It's a beautiful island. It's like a, Taiwan's a thousand meters around. It's two thirds like tropical mountains um if people don't know anything about taiwan it has like 270 peaks above 3,000 meters uh and that's just it's it's all mountains massive mountains so if you're here in taiwan it's unlimited we have massive climbs like the taiwan kom is here obviously i know some people might be familiar with that um that like jack thompson did it four times uh before he did his so and i think andy's also uh done the taiwan kom uh, I know when I logged this Everesting, he commented and we chatted about Taiwan a little bit. Um, so, it, yeah, it's just the country's just ripe for massive amounts of Everestings because uh, it's unlimited, like 60 kilometer climbs that go up 3000 meters and then like thousands of thousand meter climbs. It's, it's Taiwan is endless for biking. Um, so, yeah, that in the people of Taiwan, you know, like. I think this the atmosphere of a place really makes an Everesting what it is. And like the people are so friendly here, right? Like when you're biking up the road, everyone kind of yells at the car. They give you like a Jayo, which is like, let's go. And like, that's just biking on flat, 
So when you're doing an Everesting here in Taiwan, or if you're doing an Everesting somewhere else, having just a like a big support group around you of like really happy, motivated people who you kind of see what you're up to, uh, really help fire you up. Um, and motorists are cyclist friendly in Taiwan, you'd say, generally speaking? I would. So I would say for people that haven't cycled like in Asia or Taiwan, it's, that it's, it's like a little scary, it's, it's busy. But because there's so many motorcycles and scooters on the road, I feel like the drivers here are really switched on to having like two wheeled vehicles on the right side of the road and they don't like buzz you. Um, and it's, I, I do think it's busy, but I've biked, I've lived here for like going on my sixth year here and tens of thousands of kilometers like each year, kind of like 10,000 K and knock on wood, I've never had an incident. So they're respectful. I can say that. Yeah. But. Awesome. You know, it's still Asia, so it's busy, right? Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll dig into this climb here a little bit. So the location of this climb, it's in southern Taiwan. It's just on, honestly, on the southern tip. Like if you look at Taiwan, it kind of looks like a sweet potato. The very southern tip is where this is. So it's it's a cool place, right? If you like just pinpoint that on a map, it, it, it you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, and this is in uh, like just outside of a protected national park in Taiwan. And so the entire area is like untouched grasslands, huge rolling mountains, white sandy beaches. And it, it, they actually filmed uh, like Life of Pi on like the beach right beside this climb. It's yeah, like picture tropical paradise. Uh, and like, it really feels like stepping back in time because like they, they haven't developed it too much, you know, like there's hotels and stuff, but it's it's not like a modern place because it's protected under like it's a national park. So, you know, and uh, yeah, it's basically just picture a tropical paradise in a first world country that has all the amenities you'd ever want. So the backdrop for this is just perfect. Um, okay, I'll dig into the stats here. So the segment is kind of goes up oh, this really weird ridge that's kind of anomalous. Like it's like an anomaly of a mountain ridge that's on the southern tip here. Uh, and it climbs from east to west. It's dead straight, straight as an arrow. Uh, it's one kilometer long with an average gradient of 8.1%, and it climbs 90 meters. So it's relatively short, but I do think that is one of its strengths. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for, I'm not talking about like 500 reps, but this, this took me 98 reps. And I really think if like, I'll be doing more Everest things and I've done base camps and like, I think turning around for like a six minute climb, you can always do, but I don't know if I want to turn around for like an hour and a half climb. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's a case for finding Everesting Hills that are like 100 reps, like, you know, like 60 to 100 reps. I think that's the sweet spot. They're easy to commit to. You know what I mean? I think that's probably the most ambiguous part of a whole choice is, is distance because I did, like you, I did a fairly short hill. I think it was 1.4 kilometers, but shallower. So I did 118 reps. Um, yeah. And I can, and it, what was great about that is I didn't really need anything. I mean, I had half a bottle with me mostly. I had no tools, nothing. Like I was totally stripped yeah. down because I could walk back to my car if something broke, right? So I wasn't, so in that case, it's really awesome, especially if you're mostly self-supported. On the yeah. other hand, there is some appeal to, um, in my mind, at least, there's currently some appeal to doing like a 15 kilometer climb because then each ride is like its own bike ride. It's like a little journey, right? Instead of, it's very weird. I don't know if you felt this phenomenon because you had a long Everesting too, in terms of time. It's such a weird sensation to watch an entire day pass 
uh, it, but not really go anywhere, right? <laughs> Strange. Yeah, no, you nailed it. And I think that's one of the best things. Like I'm really into like long, like point to point rides, you know, Amazing. where you might take a train back after uh, and you get to like see the sunrise and see the sunset on like a massive ride. And yeah. I talked to, talk to my girl, she's so annoyed by me talking about this on long rides, but, but like, I love seeing the scenery change. I love seeing people go to work, people coming back from work. Like you get to experience a whole day in one bike ride. And like, that's the appeal of Everesting to me is exactly that, you know, that's the best thing about it. And uh, yeah, it was a long Everesting. Like I was at, I just like my moving time was like, 16 hours or so with like three hours of stops but you nailed it with a short climb if i have a puncture i can walk back to the base camp and like it's taiwan like with a long climb if you're getting up to elevation like you need clothes in your pocket to descend right like if you're going to be up at elevation so i think there's a lot to be said if i was pushing a first time everster to a hill i would push them towards something that doesn't like breach a different climate zone you know what I mean? Like, I think just think it's safer and easier. Ultimately, You're less exposed in a bunch of ways that way, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, this climb is like at sea level, basically. It's at 25 meters, and it goes up to 115. Um, it's super mellow at the start for the first hundred meters. It's like three to four percent, and it banks up to like 10, and then it cruises right down for the final uh, 400 meters for like. It goes to like 6%. Um, and I'll walk you through kind of like the feeling of the whole climb. Uh, so those are kind of the stats. So steep, but not too steep. Short, but not too short. Easy to turn around and commit another climb to every time. No matter how tired I was, I always knew I could do one more. And like, you just chunk it, right? Like everybody says with everything, you just chunk it. I did chunks of five. I always knew I could bang out another set of five and I'd be at my next break. Uh, and that was kind of my thought, you know? So quick breaks, obviously, but... Uh, like frequent, you know, because you need to eat a lot. So that's the deal. Um, and I, I've heard it, like somebody on your podcast said, like, you'll never had have a better chance to uh, have your nutrition and hydration, like really locked in. Because uh, like with a long bike ride, like you're just stuck, like we've all been out there and just been stuck, thirsty and hungry. And with Everesting, that's not it. That's not the challenge here. You know, the challenge is, can you do it? It's not can you logistically do it? Because if you're planning it, your logistics are all locked in already. And that's the beauty of it, right? Right. Um, so yeah, my Everesting was 210K. Took me around 19 hours total time. It is average gradient 8.1, 98 reps, and I did 9,000 meters. Um, and let me, I'll go into kind of, okay, my sections that I have, I got, the wind next so i want to talk about the wind of this everesting because this is a big part of it and it's something that i think is replicable if other people are choosing an everesting i had a massive tailwind and this climb like it is the perfect everesting climb because it's a predictable tailwind that occurs during the only like five months where you could possibly do this because the rest of the year it's too hot so in southern taiwan you get that pacific wind that just cuts across the whole island uh, and it, so I had a 60 kilometer an hour tailwind direct up the pipe all day uh, and like literally was being flung up the hill. So like, I don't know if I could do an Everesting somewhere else because I think this was such like a big factor. It's almost like cheating, but it's not because it's the world, right? Like I'm allowed to use the wind. <laughs> no kidding. But it is, but like it's a, but I mean, what a cool hack. I mean, I did not have that luxury at all. And that's, but right. But you straight too so if you can predict the winds 
you're never going to be fighting it. Also at 8.1%, it just just makes your descent mellow. That's all it does, right? That, oh, that's literally in my points, Peter. It's it? like you're taking my points. Because, <laughs> no, you nailed it. Because, like, at first, like, I remember walking it the night before in the wind. I'm like, this is, like, scary wind. Like, this is scary. It's loud. But there's only one steep ramp for, like, 400 meters. And the rest, the wind really helps push you up. But then on the way down, you literally break less because the wind is stopping you. And, like, breaking is, like, draining. It's, like, it will fatigue you, right? So, I don't know. Like, this type of wind might not be replicable in other hills, but like th that's just why this is the best hill on earth. Um, and I meant to say, like, I'll, I'll get into how this feels and more stuff about it, but like, I, I feel like when I was a kid, you know, playing like uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater or like Jack Nicholas golf games, and you got to like create your skate park or like your golf course. If there was like a video game for Everesting, this is the hill that I would like create everything about it this the steepness the gradient the steepness the safety the location it's all perfect and i don't think can be beat by anywhere on earth uh and let me get into more of why that is okay. uh so for, let's go into the amenities the amenities around the hill so it's in a tropical paradise uh but there's not really you don't live here right this is kind of where people vacation in taiwan uh so there's a hotel right at the base uh, there's a massive spot for base camp at the top or bottom. Obviously, bottom is preferred, and that's where we base camped. Uh, there's a bathroom with water access at the top and the turnaround point. Uh, there's 7-Eleven and grocery stores and, like, a hospital within 7-minute, 10-minute drive. Uh, and, like, the 7-Eleven convenience stores in Taiwan, like, within walk walking distance around here have, like, draft tap beer. Like, they have like Sapporo on tap and 7-Eleven. I, I know you stop drinking, Pete. You don't have beers, but like after our Eversting, I think everybody deserves a couple beers. So that's yeah. that's an amenity for sure. <laughs> um, okay. And so I'll, walk, I'll go through the experience of riding the segment. So basically massive turnaround area at the bottom and the wind starts throwing you up the easy gradient. Like you're flying right at the start, like 5% gradient, 60 kilometer hour tailwind, throwing you up, beautiful tropical paradise. You start rolling and all of a sudden you enter like a 10% ramp. And, and right when it ramps up, the road goes into like this rock cut zone where you have like 10, 15 meter cut out mountain rock walls on either side of you on like a fairly narrow road. They had to dive right yeah. through the road, okay. Exactly, they went right through the road. And then as it does that, the trees narrow. So it's like a green tunnel. You're like in a tunnel uh, and that's only for the steep part for 10 to 13%. So it feels like you're entering this like tunnel of like work, you know? So like you're smooth cruising up this hill and you go through this tunnel of like, kind of like a pain tunnel. A literal tunnel instead of a figurative one. Ah, in it. It's it's no big deal. Yeah, a figurative one and a literal one actually. And yeah, uh, it probably yeah. it probably serves to funnel the wind a little bit too, right? A hundred percent, and that's that's just it. This because the roads cut into the rock and the mountain itself. The wind just whips through this tunnel and pushes you up this climb. So like I don't I didn't know if I felt the effects of like this massive tailwind on the steeps. But I must have, right? Like it must have been there because it was so strong. It must be helping. Um, but yeah, as you leave this like rock cut tunnel zone, immediately the second you leave this rock cut, the road mellows to like 5%. And then the last 400 meters are beautiful. When you turn around, like you are overlooking this massive basin 
uh, looking into the central mountain range of Taiwan. There's like an ecological park in the middle. And I sent you a picture seconds before this uh, of this conversation, just so you could kind of mentally place. Did you get a chance to look at that at all? It's pretty stunning. And you're coming through a, like an arch with it's almost like a shrine. I, what's the right word for what that is? It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. So once you close this, you finish this rock cut area, you climb like 500 meters to the very top and the turnaround point every single time for like a hundred times in one day, you're turning around this monstrous, like I'm going to get this religion wrong. It might be Taoist or Buddhist, this temple. So yeah, it's like a religious gate. And I tried to Google it seconds before this started because I'm like, oh no, I don't know what religion this is. And like, people are going to correct me on this, but I, I think it's Taoist and it's absolutely stunning like i'll share a photo with you uh too then maybe you could put it put it up somewhere yeah because it's really that yeah it's amazing yeah because that's that's kind of the crux of what makes this the perfect hill because we're getting into the intangibles here it's everything like the views you get from the top this massive archway that you climb to all day you're just working toward this arch with this like tunnel of pain in the middle beautiful paradise whipping tailwind and now we'll get into safety so first off road is like hardwood floor they resurfaced it like a year ago and it's brand new it's beautiful um the segment's completely lit at night so i i don't know why there's no mountains in taiwan that have lights this hill maybe because the temple or because at night it's like a famous uh sunset spot so maybe they expect tourists to like cruise down at night but I've never seen a hill so well lit in my life. And like, I woke up at 2 a.m. to do this ride. And I was like, oh, my God, the hills got lights. Like, I didn't know these lights were there. And it was so amazing. So it's just super safe. Um, zero other roads entering on and off this segment. So there's no worry about cars coming in and out at all. Um, there's zero traffic because it's a national park. And there's only traffic during from like four till six when sunset watchers come up and that is such a positive because like you're kind of like you said like you're watching this day go by and all of a sudden when you're really entering this deep section of your day you're like 15 hours in the hordes of people come out and everyone's smiling and happy because they're on vacation and they're going to watch the sunset and there's like a crazy like white dude out there biking the hill like noticeably amount a large amount of times and like everyone's like whoa like how many times you're going up? And I'm like, oh, a hundred. They're like, no, like today? Like there's no yeah. one who really gets it. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's so safe. There's obviously, I said it's dead straight. So there's no turns, there's no blind spot, there's water access, and there's like a hospital not too far away. Uh, so like you couldn't ask for anything better. And I think that is like one of the main things is that it's safe. Um, but like, the number one highlight for this climb is it's just a place you want to be all day. And I think no matter what, when somebody's choosing an Everesting climb, all these things, the tangibles don't matter. You have to go there and be like, oh, I want to be here all day. It's got to be somewhere you love. Uh, and like with my base camp that I did first, it's a hill that I love, uh, but it, it, I don't think it's perfect, but I'd love to Everest it someday because I love being there. Um, and I, I think if it's a place that just like, has a good, I don't want to say a vibe, but it that literally is what it comes down to. If you can feel that it's like a place you want to be, because you're going to spend 20 hours of your life there. Um, so that was like, I, I keep trying to plan another Everest and I can't imagine doing any other location because I just want to be back there. 
And like every time we drive past this hill, like we're going down to vacation on the weekends or something, I look up at the hill, you know, longingly and it's all lit up. I'm like, oh, I want to be there again. You know, <laughs> like, but you know what? That's, I think that's probably the best, the best way that it's been articulated on the podcast so far is just think about where would I like to be here for the entire day? Right. That's a mm. great look at it. Good point. Yeah. You have to love it. And it has to be like, we, we, we've lived in Taiwan for this is going on six years. And like, we go down South, the Kent, it's called Kenting, the national park. Um, and that's just like some of the best memories we've ever had are all in this area. Like just love being there. Um, so it's like filled with all these memories and now it's filled with like, like this meaningful one too, you know? And like the best thing about like this everything is like my girlfriend, like just there all day helping me out in a beautiful place that I love to be. And it's just like, a good excuse to be on my bike all day and have somebody support me, you know, and like a beautiful place. So that that's just kind of it. I'll go over the highlights of this one more time. Tailwind, insanely beautiful, perfectly safe, no time lost in descent, food, bathroom, water, and accommodation available. Uh, the rhythm of the climb, like mellow, steep, mellow, I think is the perfect formula because like you need a, a variety. If it was like 12%, you, it, the whole way it'd be efficient, but I don't want to climb that all day because it's not fun. Like, like if you're doing a Zwift workout or something, you want like, you know, a change of pace that makes your ride interesting. And this, it's like a Zwift workout when you do it, you know, it's like spin, 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 mellow, and then kind of heavy, hard walks and then spin, spin, spin. Like it feels right. Definitely. Like the only way to, the only way to say that this hill is imperfect is if you're going strictly for time, right? Like if you're a Ronan yes. like then you need a steeper hill, but then it's not yeah. about, pleasure anymore it's about something different entirely right exactly and th th this is not what this is i, I don't think you know, like somebody could put a really good time on this hill because it is efficient and straight and like the descent yeah. is sweet and like you're gonna get a tailwind i can promise you that if you come here you're gonna have a 60 kilometer tailwind like i think that wind hits like four out of seven days a week and during the winter months in taiwan uh nice. so it's predictable um, so I want to get into one negative thing uh, that's about this climb, uh, but I don't think this is something, it, it was a negative, but also like turned out to be a positive. Uh, so when I started at 2am, like my girlfriend woke up with me at the time and like, she, it's like pitch black and like, I hadn't slept in like three days and like, obviously I'm sore from a motorcycle accident. I'm like, Oh no, like, I, I think I, like, I knew I had it. I knew I was going to do it, but I was like, this is going to be like a pretty hard, like kind of lonely start to this day. She sent me off, but obviously she went back to bed. And for the first like 15 reps, it was pitch black uh, at the top, like there's lights in the middle, but there was like a, a pack of like three dogs that attacked me at the top every time. But like, okay, this, is, this sounds scary, but like in Taiwan, there's wild dogs everywhere and they don't really like attack or bite. They'll just like kind of chase after you and bark. So it's chill. And like, if you're biking here, you're used to that. Um, and at first I was like, oh no, like these are scary dogs who like each turnaround would barge out of this temple. Cause they're kind of like temple dogs. Um, and they would run beside me and like keep pace as I'm like doing like 50 kilometers an hour down this. So they'd run directly beside me. I've never seen a dog run so fast in my life. And at first I was like, this is like frightening and I don't know if it's uh, sustainable. And then uh -huh. I, I just found myself loving the dogs. It woke me up. It gave me like this interesting companion for a little bit. 
Uh, and like, it just turned out to this thing that like, I remember that about the climb. So I think having like little surprises on an Everesting, like that's part of it. Right. Uh, and like, I remember the dog, like I remember, I feel like it would happen yesterday because it was so burned in my core memories. Now this mass, one of the dogs was particularly huge, right. And he was the fast one too. It was probably a girl. It was probably the mom to be honest with you. But like, that was like a negative, but I can't promise the dogs are always going to be there. But like, I hope if somebody does it, I hope they are, because I think that's part of it. You know, <laughs> did, uh, did, he, did the dogs get more and more you with more and more reps or was it just as exciting every time they got progressively more excited for like the first 10 and then they chilled out a little I think they got tired because like they were going really fast and then every time I got to the top I'd expect to see them and like slowly they just start like making their present less and presence less and less known and just maybe 20 laps 20 reps in I didn't see them again for the rest of the day and uh I remember them though very clearly you were way <laughs> Than they were they, <laughs> yeah you are, yeah that's that is awesome okay are you planning another one yeah for sure so i always I literally i'm always kind of planning another one um so i did a base camp and i did this everything and then since then I, I attempted two more base camps just as like fun casual rides and i've actually quit the quit on both um i think it's done the Everson base camp before and I just went out without properly planning the logistics of it and like oh, I'll just go base camp this hill and each time I've kind of made it to like 3,000 meters and be like ah I've had a great day I might just go home and enjoy my I could still do other stuff now like so I'm in but I realized that like I need like like a bigger challenge and I haven't been excited about something like this Everesting because like I knew this Everesting I wasn't gonna fail because I wanted it so much um so that leads me to where I have to say thank you again, because I think I found like the next challenge and I think I'm gonna, I don't wanna claim it too loud, but I gotta try the 20K week from October 2nd to what is it, the 8th there with you guys. Um, but it's it's hard because it's a, it's a time issue. Cause like I work um, like, like 11 hours a day, I've gone to work as you are, like we all have lives, you know? Um, and I don't think I can do at least so I'll, I broke it down to like I'm going to do a, a virtual Everesting on Sunday, which I've never done. Um, but like it worries me because like that 100% trainer difficulty is so hard on my knees. Like I don't know if I like I'm going to put a 32 chain ring on the back. Right now it's a 28 on my trainer. Oh, but like I don't yeah. know what 32. You won't regret it. No, I'm going to I won't even consider it because like I took it for I've, I never I always ride erg mode right on like tra workouts and stuff like that because I like the spin. But like I just I'm like okay I'll practice one ride like on Alpha Zwift with like 100% training. I'm like oh this and then the next day my knees hurt so I'm like that's not sustainable. I need to get like a bigger chain ring. So I'm gonna get a better bigger chain ring, and either I'm gonna do the virtual Everesting, but if I can't like if the chain ring doesn't help me or the, like the sorry the cassette doesn't uh, help me enough then I'll just have to do like an Everesting on Swift, but not have it um, like checked on the Everesting website. I'll just do it like, you know, like I'll do it on erg mode and like do the meters, but I won't do the trainer difficulty aspect of it, but I'm going to try the full anyway. So I'll do the Everesting on the Sunday and then what's like 1500 meters every day of the week. And then I'll try to do a base camp on the Saturday and I'll try that outdoors on uh, the base camp because it's, it's too hot in Taiwan in October. 
to do a full Everesting outside, I think. Um, I, I just don't think it's possible. I, I would like, it would really drain you. Right now it's like 35, 38 degrees, like 40 some days and it's, it's too hot to do massive rides outdoors. Um, but I do thank you. I encourage you guys for that challenge. Um, oh. how, how do you think feel going into that? Oh, uh, concerned. Definitely same thing time. Like it's, I just, I know it's going to take, it's probably, you know, it's like 30 hours probably. Right. So to yeah. figure out out of seven days and still manage the rest of my world is, is a huge challenge, but that's the point. Right. So, um, and it's, you know, for me, it, the truth is it'll probably come down to cutting it to sleep a decent amount too, yeah. in a hole for sure. So I'm going to be, you can definitely expect me to be taking it pretty easy for a week after, probably a week before and a week after be taking it pretty easy. I, just, are you going to do yours uh, virtual, like the whole thing? I think a large portion of it. Yeah. A lot, it depends on the weather, right? So I live in Calgary, Alberta. So October could be lovely or it could, we could have a foot of snow on the ground. I don't really know. So we'll like, I'll see. Um, for, from a time efficiency standpoint, there will be a good portion of it indoors, regardless of weather, because I can easily do that. I can do that in the dark. I can, I don't, there's not yep. a lot of prep time involved, right? Um, setting up a car at a base camp for a ton of repeats or something. I can, I can watch a movie on Zwift and get one done, right? Or I can reply to some emails. And so I'll, I'll just kind of squeeze it in wherever I can. And I might yep. allow myself the uh i've been running a little bit more recently so i might uh i might switch it up and and do both i might try and mix it between cycling and probably a bunch of stair repeats wow. that makes a <laughs> makes a lot of sense because it's just so efficient like what you'd get with stair repeats if you're like you know you don't have to get to the hill because like even on zwift it's 10 minutes to the base of alpha zwift and that's that's a long time when you're trying to like but if you ride to the base of Alpha Zwift 20 times in the week, you could have ridden up it and down twice, right? So there's 2,000 yeah. years you can't give up. So it's about finding all these little tricks and efficiencies. So my plan is to, if I'm on Alpha Zwift, if I get up early and bang one out, I'll leave Zwift on, let my avatar roll to the bottom of the hill, and then he'll just be waiting there for me if I come back at noon. And I can turn around, like if I take a lunch break and I want to do even 45 minutes, right? If I get another 600 meters in during lunch or so, like it all matters, right? I can't. Every, so, every meter counts. Yeah. <laughs> totally. That's the way I'm looking at it. So, I mean, that's part of the fun. I'm not willing to take a week off of all of my other responsibilities to try and do it. But it's it's almost more fun to try and see if I can, like, race the clock to, to 20,000, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's the fun of it is that, like, it's fun to have a challenge that, like, you're not sure if it's possible for a lot of reasons. And that's why like everything is so appealing is because you don't know, like I've heard you say in this podcast, like you're never going to have a better chance to find out what's in the tank. Uh, or somebody said that, I don't know who said that, but I've heard that said about everything. And like that kind of like really fired me up for my everything. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Like, I don't know if I can physically do this. And then you can, and then you're like, oh, like, you know, what next? Like you need something else that's kind of on that edge. And this is on the edge in so many ways. Like, I really think the time and like, I don't know if my legs can physically, because I'll have to, you, everyone will have to do an Everesting on the first day to get those mile, get those meters bagged. And then I don't know if my legs can function after an Everesting. Like I, the day I took like a week off the last time I did something that big. So I don't know if I, it's physically possible. Um, time, time is just as big 
uh, hurdle as the physical challenge of this one. Um, but I think that's the fun of it, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah, I do too. Tim, thank you for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. I hope people give us some feedback on this. If they've cycled in Taiwan, I'd love to hear their thoughts about this. Um, but and, and I'd love to hear about their local hills too. So people, please reach out and uh, we'll keep Tim in touch and we'll, we'll uh, continue the conversation about perfect Everesting Hills. But I appreciate you making the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on, man. It, uh, I listen to the podcast all the time, so it's a lot of fun to be on it. You know, happy to contribute to the space of Everesting in my own small way. This is what it's all about, man. It's all about the Everesters and the community of it. So I really appreciate it. And thanks for listening. One last thank you to Tim for spending some time with me. Again, I felt like that was a super fun conversation. I love this part of Everesting and what it means to people. So again, I would love to hear your thoughts. Please reach out. You can hit me up. Instagram's probably the easiest way. It's P-E-T-E dot H-O-C-K-P-Talk. Uh, in my profile, it says that I'm a host of the Everesting podcast, so I should be easy to find. Shoot me a message, reach out, uh, and if you have a hill that you feel would contend with Tim's assertion of his hill in Taiwan that he's told us about in this episode, I would love to hear from you. Lastly, I have a favor to ask all of you. If you can subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you are finding the show, that actually helps us grow our audience, so please do so as do positive ratings and reviews. So a lot more people listen to the podcast than we have reviews, which means that I know that most of you have not yet given us a review or a five-star rating. So if you can kindly do that, that helps us grow the community. More Everesters means more podcasts, more fun, more community. So please do so if you have a chance and we have some other awesome, awesome guests coming up in the next few weeks. So we'll get those out to you as quickly as we can. Thanks again for listening.